whistleblower report exposing lies deceptions and all that has assaulted our way of life we must take back our freedom and live as god designed in a free america that honors our constitution and our creator our experts in medicine, ministry, law, military, environment, and education empower us to grow together as a nation. For such a time as this, the Whistleblower Report offers truth and solutions. Welcome to another Whistleblower Report from Truth for Health Foundation. This is Dr. Lee for America, and I'm here with the military report today with my co-host, Navy Commander Liv Dagenkolb, and a guest from the Army talking about some of the issues that are going on with the difficulty getting the U.S. Constitution adhered to with regard to religious exemptions on the COVID shots. I think it's important for our listeners to keep in mind that our military all take an oath to serve the U.S. Constitution, not a political agenda or a particular political administration or an individual commander-in-chief. So when the constitutional rights for our military service members are trampled upon, Truth for Health Foundation has been standing in the gap and helping to defend them because our military defends us. And it's time for America to wake up, get loud and get involved and defend our military and their constitutional rights that the leadership and command and Department of Defense are literally trampling upon. So I want to also point out that Commander Dagan Culp is here as a volunteer in her free time, volunteering for Truth for Health Foundation on our Military Advisory Council, so that we, as a public charity, have a better way to understand the needs of our military service members as individual human beings who have constitutional rights that are actually the rights to life and liberty granted by our creator and not created by the government. So Commander, thank you for joining us. Thank you for being the co-host on the military report today. And I look forward to having you share a couple of points about your background with our audience and then introducing your guest today, who is an army captain. And it's nice to be having all of us women professionals talking together about some of the things that we're facing. So thank you for being with us. Thank you for having me, Doc. It's an absolute pleasure to be here today. Um, I'd like to start out just by saying that the thoughts and opinions that are expressed today are my own and I do not represent the Department of Defense or the U.S. Navy. I've been in the military for about 20 years. Um, I was a prior enlisted um, electrician's mate doing nuclear work. I was a 
naval flight officer on the E2C Hawkeye, and most recently transitioned to international relations as a foreign area officer in the United States Navy. I'm incredibly pleased to be here with Captain Kelly Cruthers today. Um, we're here to discuss her experience as a military leader who was tasked with providing recommendations for COVID religious accommodation requests within her command. And after diligently interviewing and considering each individual's case, she made decisions for each case and sent those recommendations up her chain of command. Um, apparently, senior leadership was unsatisfied with her candid support of some members, and she was asked to change her statements. I personally find the undue influence incredibly inappropriate, and I'm just honored to be here today as she respected both the individuals who submitted religious accommodation requests and tried to do her due diligence to make recommendations that made sense, as well as the law, the Religious Freedom Restoration Act, and Department of Defense instructions, which require individual consideration for each religious accommodation request. Within my command personally, there is a um, policy of blanket denials, which was incredibly frustrating to see. So again, I'm just honored to be here today with Kelly. Thank you so much for coming on. Yeah, no problem. Thank you, Dr. Lee um, and Commander Dagenkolb for having me on today. I um, Again, I'm a captain in the United States Army. I am a military police officer. I have served for just over four years, about four and a half years, and I took the traditional route of a military police officer. I served as a platoon leader and then an executive officer, and during my time as an executive officer, I was a first lieutenant at the time. I was serving as a rear detachment commander. My commander was forward. And during that portion of my command is when the vaccine was mandated. It was last year in September, October of 2021. Um, and I'm happy to be here and more than happy to share my experiences. Again, uh, my experiences are just from personal testimony and do not reflect that of the United States Army or the Department of Defense. And thank you, Captain Cruthers. I appreciate your being here as well. And, you know, both of you may make the point that you have a right under the Constitution to express your personal opinions. And, and I think that's important for our listeners to understand. That's a right for all of us that you in the military are defending. And I'm glad you made the point, Commander, about the fact that federal law and the UCMJ do require that the religious accommodation request for every military service member be individually considered and evaluated. And I have, as a civilian and a defender of the Constitution as a civilian, I've been appalled at the fact that the U.S. Navy, for example, had standard operating policies that explained how people were to issue blanket denials and gave them instructions to issue blanket denials. It's unconscionable to me how flagrant the violations of law have actually been, and we've done a lot to help try and expose that. So thank you both for being here. Let's go ahead with what actually happened to our Army captain. 
Um, yeah, so just to get into some of the details of what exactly happened again, I was a commander and don't remember the exact date, but September or October of 2021, the Department of Defense mandated uh, that all service members are required to take the vaccine. And immediately off the bat, I had um, instructions from higher headquarters kind of in a frenzy to gather the commanders and issue instructions on how we were going to handle this mandate and what had to happen next as far as counselings and religious accommodation requests that they were expecting to get. I don't think in the volume that they did get, but definitely were expecting some. And right off the bat, um, within my company, about 150-ish personnel, there were around 20 that were refusing the vaccine. And initially that refusal wasn't just religious in nature. There were several that were requesting medical exemptions for pregnancy um, or other reasons. But throughout the course of um, the counseling, subsequent counselings that had to be done um, for vaccine refusals, some self-selected in um, maybe due to the fact that they were told they were going to be separated from the army. Some chose that you know, that wasn't a hit they were able to take and ended up receiving the vaccine. Some did receive temporary medical exemptions and that number of roughly 20 soldiers dwindled down to 10 that requested a religious accommodation um, exemption. And that started my research as a commander, an acting commander charged with the responsibility of giving those soldiers that due process of what, what in a religious accommodation request entails, I had to dig into the army regulation and figure out what exactly the process was comprised of. The company that I was serving as a commander for was the only one within the organization of four, four companies that had that many requests. Most of the other companies had one, maybe two. So I was in a fr frenzy trying to get the paperwork done and do my due diligence. Um, so as the commander, part of the religious re accommodation request process, the first step is that the soldier sits down with the chaplain, the unit chaplain, and that chaplain has a conversation with the soldier and provide, provides a memorandum to the commander stating his opinion on whether or not that soldier has a sincerely held religious belief. And then they sit down, soldier sits down with the medical provider and the medical provider provides a memo saying that they sat down with the service member to educate them on the medical facet of the vaccination. The third step to that process is a commander's interview. So I personally had to sit down with uh, each of these 10 soldiers. I tried to take it very seriously and give the soldier um, the, the due process truly of the religious accommodation request. It wasn't my place to determine whether or not it was, it was sincere. In my opinion, that was the place of the chaplain. So I took the memorandum that the chaplain provided for each soldier and I sat down with each soldier and had a candid conversation, very informal, about the requirements from the Department of Defense, as well as where they were in their life, where they were in their career, um, what their plans were, if they were to be separated. And then I typed up a memo uh, pretty much from scratch, just gathered my thoughts in my head, typed up a memo from our conversation and included in the last paragraph whether I recommended approval or denial. And of course, I don't have the authority to approve or deny. It was just a recommendation to the next higher command. And then the packet was to be um, make its way through the battalion, brigade, et cetera. So that's kind of where the whole process started. 
And Kelly, in the middle of this, you were getting ready to transfer to a new command, right? So that added a whole nother level of pressure um, and just stress, I've got to imagine. Yes, I was on PCS orders to uh, transition to a different duty station. Um, I was a lieutenant at the time and a company commander in the Army as a captain. So there was a little bit of pressure just from a rank standpoint. I was trying to you know, hold the, hold the burn of command and do the job well. But yes, I was, I was about 10 days from a PCS trying to get all these packets done for these soldiers so that they could rest easy knowing their packet had been submitted. And then I could PCS and then the person behind me would have to handle whatever subsequent actions were to be taken. It sounds like initially you didn't receive much guidance from the army. So so what happened? You drafted these memos and then you sent it up the chain of command. What next? I drafted these memos based on conversations. It was obvious that this was kind of an unprecedented scenario. I think um, interactions with a religious accommodation request in the past were few and far between. It wasn't a common occurrence. And it was very obvious that my higher headquarters was taking direction from their higher headquarters and so on and so on. And you could tell nobody was sure what to do because, again, this wasn't something everyone had done before. We were, seemed like doing our, our best guess. Um, but the Army regulation does provide guidance on how what exactly is supposed to be in a religious accommodation request. So that part was pretty cut and dry. But I typed up my memorandums with my personal um, account, basically a summary of the conversation I had with each soldier and uh, included again at the bottom that bullet of whether I recommended approval or denial and included the chaplain's memo, the medical doctor's memo, and then submitted that to the battalion through the human resources section where the battalion commander essentially takes my recommendation into account, the chaplain's thoughts into account, and then he obviously makes a recommendation to the brigade commander. So I did all of the memos I was supposed to do for these service members. It took took a while. It took me probably a week and a half um, to get all the documentation just on my part done, even longer to go from the chaplain to the um, medical doctor up to me. So the process in and of itself was probably two to three weeks. Um, but I submitted my memorandum and kind of was trying to wipe my hands of it. I was in the middle of a PCS, which is, again, like you said, not an easy an easy movement. I was forward thinking to my next assignment, um, but I got a phone call from my headquarters stating that they had to kick back my memorandums because they didn't meet a the requirement of what they wanted them to say, how they wanted them to be outlined. But to caveat that, the battalion commander they were kicked back from the brigade. So the battalion commander had reviewed the packet already, had issued his memorandum with his recommendation of approval or denial and submitted it to the brigade. The brigade was the one who kicked it back and said, this does not meet the requirements of what you have to have in the memorandum. And I, in that moment, was just, well, what do you mean? You're asking for my opinion. How can it not meet what you want it to say? Well, one of the things that's so striking is that the religious accommodation is supposed to be based upon deeply held personal religious beliefs. It, it's not supposed to be second-guessed 
by other people. And this is what's so, in addition to what you're saying, this is also what's so egregious about it is that they're trying to provide some litmus test or some specific statement or someone else's approval. No, that isn't how religious accommodations are supposed to be handled. At least, certainly not in the civilian world, and I didn't think in the military either. Commander, do you have any things to add to that about what used to be the case? Well, Doc, for as long as I've been aware of religious accommodation requests, the military has required a chaplain's interview. Each service has slightly different requirements for what additional paperwork is needed. Um, But I did want to just highlight on the Religious Freedom Restoration Act covers not just religious beliefs, but also moral principles and conscience. So really any person of any faith to include atheists and, you know, people who consider themselves agnostic under the Religious Freedom Restoration Act have an absolute right to submit a religious accommodation request if something they're being asked to do goes against their conscience, their moral principles, or their religious beliefs. I I just find it fascinating that, Kelly, you went from having little to no guidance to being pressured by higher headquarters to add a statement. What was it about the statement that, you know, made you uncomfortable and and uncomfortable with their request to have you add it to your recommendations? No, you're absolutely right. Um, I I will answer your question. But before I get to that, I just want to mention. um, So the chaplain, for the most part, the chaplains, I think I saw one, maybe two uh, opinions from a chaplain that said this service member had a sincerely held religious belief. And then one of the statements I got back, the chaplain did not, wouldn't say, he basically just said, there's not enough information for me to tell. And then one of the statements I got back said, this service member is religious and sincere, but his request is not based on a sincerely held religious belief. To me, as a commander looking for guidance from a chaplain, that was confusing. And so in that instance, as well as the instance of where he refused to comment, I erred on the side of the soldier. I will say that my personal opinion, I was as a commander, not every soldier did have a sincerely held religious belief. I did not recommend approval for all of them. I was trying to weigh my due diligence um, as a commander, as you know, against my conversation with that soldier, coupled with what the chaplain had said. So I wasn't blanketing proving all of them, but any in any instance where the chaplain's response was confusing or just not there, I did err on the side of the service member because I believe that process, due process was owed to them. But to answer your question, I basically get a phone call that said, hey, you need to redo all of your memorandums, which one was frustrating because I was trying to PCS. I was basically here on my leave time, just trying to get this done for these soldiers. And I was confused at first. Um, Looking back, it's very black and white. I'm glad I did what I did, took a step back. But in the moment, there was just that gut reaction of, I need to ask a few more questions and seek some guidance before I, quote unquote, just sign it. Just change it to what they want it to say and sign it, because that definitely would have been the easy answer and the stress-free answer for sure. Um, but initially, my first response was just a gut, a gut reaction of somebody telling me, hey, you need to write this. 
you need to sign it and turn it in fast is kind of how the message came across. So I took some time to think about, I didn't immediately react, just took some time to kind of think about, think through what I had submitted, what was being said in process to make sure I was understanding right, not putting any words in in anyone's mouth. And then my next step, um, of course, I called some some mentors that I um, trust and asked them, like, hey, what do you think about this? Sought some different opinions from different people. And then my next step was to go to legal. And I went to um, the Army, the legal office that supported my unit. And I said, hey, this is the situation I'm in. Um, at the time, my the higher headquarters, the battalion I worked for, the brigade to that battalion was not in the same geographical location. So my, I went to my legal office and I asked them, like, hey, is there any reason why I would legally have to include this clause in this memorandum that brigade basically came back and said what the memo you wrote needs to match the template we sent out and the template they sent out um, basically had a, a recommended format of I recommend approval or denial and then explain your reasoning why and then there was a clause that said the government has a compelling interest in ensuring the uniformity safety and health of the unit the vaccination is the least restrictive means to further this interest and this was the statement that I read that initially like spurred that gut feeling because I didn't believe that to be true in necessarily every single case maybe some of them yes but not every case like you said they need to be independently reviewed Um, So that was kind of my thought process through the first 48 hours after getting that phone call. Well, I find it bothersome and troubling to me observing the process as a civilian that there was um, an attempt to pressure you into changing your statement In, in our world, in medicine, that really borders on being unethical and that concerns me but also the fact that I was glad um, Commander Dagenkov that you brought up the point about the Religious Freedom Restoration Act and anything that violates conscience because what the public doesn't fully realize is that all of these experimental shots that were available for COVID, number one, were still under emergency use authorization designation. They are experimental. It is illegal, unlawful, violation of law, whatever you'd like to say. You cannot mandate an experimental product for a human being to take against their will. It, it is illegal. And that that was point number one that concerns me. Of course, they have a right to bodily integrity and to refusing it as a matter of conscience. But also, all of them, including Novavax, all of the ones by AstraZeneca, J&J, Pfizer, Moderna, and now Novavax, at some point in the testing and evaluation process, involved the use of aborted human fetal cells in some stage of their testing manufacture or production. And this 
is a moral issue for many people, not just those of a particular religious faith, Protestants, Catholics, Jewish, um, but it's also a matter of conscience for some people. So I'm really happy that you brought up that distinction. And as we wrap up the first segment pretty shortly, um, I, we'll talk more about this in the second segment. But if you'd respond to that. Absolutely, Doc. I, I think you're spot on. Title 21 clearly states that emergency use authorized products cannot be mandated. Individuals have have the right to accept or refuse those products. Um, you cannot have any coercion. It, you know, the idea that if you don't take this vaccine, the government can fire you. That's absolutely illegal. And we saw this a very similar case with anthrax, you know, in the early 2000s. Um, as a matter of fact, as a result of the blatant violations of law that occurred during the mandating of the anthrax vaccine on the military population, Congress added an extra law to ensure that this could never happen again. That was Title 10 of U.S. Code, Section 1107 Alpha. Uh, the idea that, you know, less than 20 years ago, Congress added a law to ensure that this could not happen again, and we are reliving this history is just absurd. Well, it's, it's quite chilling, actually, particularly since the experimental COVID shots. I mean, I'm in medical practice. I'm treating vaccine-injured patients, and the, the catastrophic damage from these shots is just truly staggering. And we can talk a little more about that in the second half, but we're coming to the end of the first half, and I'm really grateful to both of you for being here today. This is the Whistleblower Report from Truth for Health Foundation. We are exposing the lies and the deceptions that are assaulting all of us and our way of life, our freedom, and our very lives. For such a time as this, this is where we are providing truth and hope and solutions to help you understand what the media is not telling you. More information is available on our website, www.truthforhealth.org. Treatment guides for vaccine injury, treatment guides for early COVID, faith over fear seminars, the Citizens Vaccine Injury Treatment Guide and Reporting System, and our military resources for support and for legal defense. Many, many resources. And with all of the great shows here on the America Out Loud talk radio platform. You have lots of information to guide you in healthy decision-making to improve your life, your health, your resilience, and your freedom. We'll be right back after the break. America Out Loud beats to the pulse of our nation. We know when you're angry, you're troubled, confused, glad, and thankful. Well, we know you because we are you. AmericaOutloud.com. Join us as we explore the most important issues of our time. America Out Loud Talk Radio. Liberty and justice for all. 
Here on America Out Loud, we emphasize optimal health, and air is the most essential element for life. The average person inhales over 35 pounds of air every day, yet we seldom think about how to rid the air of pathogens swiftly and safely when we need to. The Genesis Fogger Plus HOCL is the only way to quickly and naturally restore air to its optimal condition. Visit genesisfogger.com forward slash out loud for a free ebook on everything you need to know about HOCL and receive a 15% discount on the Genesis Fogger with promo code OUTLOUD. With Genesis, you'll be ready for what's next. Maintaining a strong immune system has never been more critical. Nutrition company Healthy Cell created Immune Super Boost to help you strengthen your immunity. Unlike other supplements that don't work, Immune Super Boost is not a pill. It's a gel you swallow with ultra absorption of science-backed nutrients proven to support immunity, like vitamin C, D3, zinc, elderberry, and echinacea. Go to HealthyCell.com and use limited time code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first order. Risk-free, love it, or your money back, guaranteed. HealthyCell.com, code out loud. We wouldn't go a day without washing our hands, brushing our teeth, and washing our nose. Well, wait, we wash our nose? Yes, the number one place where bacteria, viruses, and pollen enter the body is through the nose. So the average person breathes over 23,000 times a day. That's 23,000 opportunities for bacteria, viruses, and irritants to get into your nose and make you sick. For an extra layer of protection, wash your nose with Clear. That is Clear. X-L-E-A-R. Clear's drug-free nasal spray features xylitol, an ingredient proven to block adhesion of many nasty bacteria and viruses, and effectively clean, not just rinse like a saline, but wash your nose. Clear nasal spray quickly alleviates congestion, opens your airway, and ensures your body's natural defenses are strong. Read the research studies for yourself at clear.com. That's X-L-E-A-R.com. Protect yourself from the pathogens and junk you breathe. Pick up a bottle for you and your family today. This message is from the Truth for Health Foundation. Hi, I'm Dr. Sam Sigloff, a family medicine physician and a major in the U.S. Army. The following are only my opinions. Service members are being coerced to participate in medical experimentation, with over 7,500 service members being discharged for refusing to participate. Many of them have lost their retirement and medical benefits. There are allegations that the DOD is committing medical fraud violating the Religious Freedom Restoration Act and violating the constitutional rights of service members. Strong men and women stand ready to defend so that you can sleep peacefully through the night. Now we must stand watch over the military so they can sleep peacefully through the night. Please get involved to help protect the military. This message brought to you by the Truth For Health Foundation. For more information, please visit truthforhealth.org. That is truthforhealth.org. Truth, the word for, health.org. Welcome to the second half of the Whistleblower Report with your host, Dr. Lee for America. And this is a presentation of Truth for Health Foundation. Visit our website, www.truthforhealth.org, and join us in our discussion each day of people from different walks of life across America and around the world who are bringing you the truth to expose the lies and deceptions that have assaulted your way of life. Today, we have Navy Commander Liv Degenkolb and Army Captain Kelly Cruthards talking about the punitive actions in the U.S. military with blanket denials of religious accommodations in the U.S. Navy and 
an attempt to interfere with the federal laws requiring individual consideration of religious accommodation requests in Captain Cruthard's experience in the Army. So we'll continue this dialogue about what's been going on. And I know that many of you may have questions about why there has been such a push to mandate the COVID shots that we now know didn't prevent COVID, didn't prevent hospitalization, didn't prevent death, and caused all kinds of damage in healthy young people. How does that really help military readiness? In fact, it's been decimating military fitness and readiness, and many of us have been concerned about the impact on national security. So in the second half, we can talk about some of those issues as well. Doc, that's fantastic. I, I'm i really curious. Um, I wanted to get back to Kelly's specific situation and it just, I just cannot believe that higher headquarters would ask her to include um, a paragraph in her recommendation. I'm curious, Kelly, had you ever seen anything like that with higher headquarters before? Had had they ever requested that you change a recommendation that you'd made for, you know, perhaps an officer selection package or um, some other administrative passage or package that had been pushed up the chain of command? No, it wasn't something I had ever seen before. I've seen several memorandums done a couple of before this instance had done a couple of where I had to submit a recommendation for approval or denial and have never, never seen that before. No. Yeah, that's incredible. Did you hear by any chance how many of the cases were or how the cases were adjudicated ultimately? The only update I have received, I haven't kept up, but the only update I do know for sure that every soldier received a denial and are in the process of appeal. I have not heard back whether the appeals have been, have been denied. I will, that's something I need to follow up on. Every soldier that applied for religious accommodation was denied? Yes, regardless of whether the chaplain, even the ones that had the chaplain's statement of a sincerely held religious belief, my recommendation for approval, I did not have the, uh, I don't know what the battalion commander recommended. I don't know if he made his recommendation in line with mine, uh, but I do know that they did come back disapproved. Don't know the status of the appeal or honestly, even if the soldiers did the appeals, I'm not sure how it turned out again on PCS days after that whole scenario kind of culminated. It's interesting. I, th- I find it interesting that, you know, you mentioned uh, whether or not soldiers had appealed the religious accommodation denials. In my personal case, um, I reached out to the defense service office and was told by legal officers, so military legal representatives, that there was no appeal process that once a religious accommodation had been denied, we did not have a right to appeal um, these religious accommodations. And fortunately at the time I'd done a ton of research and I'd read through all of the department of defense instructions. And in my specific case, the Naval instructions 
um, the Joint Bureau of Medicine for the Navy instructions, basically the medical instructions for each service. There's a joint publication that specifically addresses religious accommodations and how they are authorized for vaccinations and other medical processes. And I knew that there was an appeal process. And so you know, personally, I was shocked to to receive legal advice that was contrary to DOD and Navy policy. Um, I, I'm not sure, you know, it sounds like you probably don't have any insight into the specific soldiers situations, but it does make me wonder how widespread that type of misinformation was. Yeah, that's very interesting. I will say the only other interaction I really had with legal was I received a phone call from the brigade legal office, who again was not geographically located with my unit, but he would had become aware, I'm sure through reporting that I was unwilling to redo the memorandums. And he called my personal office number and said, you know, I'm, I'm just calling to hear you're hesitant to include the statement we want you to include and you're saying you're not going to redo your memorandums. I want to ask you why and have a conversation with you to see how we can get you there, um, which in my mind was coercive. I felt like I was between a rock and a hard place. Um, I, in my mind, I had done my due diligence. I had talked to every soldier individually, truly had written what I believed to be true um, from my personal conversation with them, as well as wearing that commander's hat. And I had given them my honest opinion and I felt like my, I was done. They, I had followed the army regulation and what was required of the packet. And then I have a legal officer, someone that is a major, I was a Lieutenant at the time calling me to say, Hey, how can I get you there to where you're willing to sign your name to this document? And I was trying to take the approach of anything I put my name to, I was assuming it was going to go to court. And as we've seen, a lot of these cases have, and I, I wasn't willing at the time to, to include the statement that they wanted me to include because I didn't necessarily believe it to be true. So that was an interesting conversation with legal. You know, I, I find it shocking, um, Commander and Captain Cruthers. I, I really find it shocking and very troubling as an American citizen that there has been so much coercion and so much flagrant violations of what has always been one of the strengths of our military is our strong uniform code of military justice, honoring the Constitution. And the fact that our military, to me, having a global perspective and familiarity with militaries of other countries, I just think our military has always operated at a higher standard and I've seen everything go by the boards in the lawlessness and the flagrant violations of due process, the constitution and the UCMJ since the COVID pandemic began. That's, that's my observation as a civilian. I find it very, very troubling. I absolutely agree with you. And honestly, one of the most shocking things to me just being in the situ in that situation was the lack of critical thinking. There was, I seemed, I felt like I was the only person like, stopping to take a breath to say, wait a minute, are we doing the right thing? Are we doing right by our service members? Are we doing right by the military? Um, there was, it seemed like no one else was putting critical thought um, which is kind of scary in and of itself. 
but that's a very interesting point. You know, critical thinking in, has been a characteristic of the U.S. military since George Washington's time. If you really look at the history, the independent thinking, critical thinking skills, look at, at all of the things that took place in World War II, for example, when we came into that World War II the U.S. military was not the strongest, and we were up against a formidable enemy with the Nazi regime and the German army. And it was American ingenuity, critical thinking, creative thinking, problem solving on the fly. That's, that's what has really been a hallmark of our military and the way that we approach solving problems, particularly when um, perhaps disadvantaged in terms of armament and numbers, as we saw at the beginning of World War II. So the fact that there has been such a, an approach that's very rote, very scripted, very much, uh, very rigid and violating the standards. All of that is just extremely alarming to me as an observer of the process. Doc, I couldn't agree more. Um, and I'd like to say, I think adherence to the Constitution, you know, to some document that speaks to our values and the intrinsic rights of our citizen is, you know, another characteristic that really sets America apart from many other nations. Um, I think that lack of adherence to the rule of law as it relates to the COVID-19 vaccine and COVID policies has been extremely troubling. Like you touched on earlier, you know, any emergency use authorized product, uh, an individual has the right to accept or refuse that product without any adverse action taken against them. Many people don't know, currently there is no FDA-approved COVID-19 vaccine test kit or mask on the market. All of them are emergency use authorized. And yet we see policies, you know, really throughout America and the globe that are mandating these products. Now, U.S. law obviously only applies to the United States, but to see the extent to which um, people's rights are being violated on a daily basis has just been shocking. You know, this hasn't been limited solely to the military. This has absolutely been a national phenomenon. And again, we've seen these products pushed on, on individuals throughout the globe. Exactly right about that. And I think that to this day, I would dare say that if you did a sampling of people on the street, if you ask 100 people, 95 of them would think that there's an FDA-approved vaccine, an FDA-approved test kit, and an FDA-approved mask to prevent COVID. And you're right. None of them have any formal approval. They haven't even been tested for that on the test kits and the masking. And besides, the mask that everybody's wearing, the surgical mask, that's like using a chain link fence to stop a mosquito. They don't work. 
against the viruses and the lack of common sense and the fact that people think that that little surgical mask is protecting them from a nanoparticle virus is beyond me. And I even see people still to this day, I saw it today, driving alone in a car, wearing a mask. Absolutely. And what's shocking to me is if you read the studies on masking specifically, there are negative impacts on the respiratory system. Holding, holding a cloth of any sort, whether that's a surgical mask or you know a cloth mask, having, having that product right next to your mouth where you're breathing in and out for hours on end, bacteria grows there. And you know these, these respiratory infections that come from mask wearing, that undermines people's health. So, you know, the idea that we're being told that you need to wear these for the health of the unit or for the health of the military to support national security, it's absurd. It absolutely is. I just have to shake my head. If it weren't, if it weren't having such tragic outcomes, I, I mean, I, I would just shake my head at the stupidity of it, but it's having extraordinarily catastrophic and serious outcomes. Because look at the people experienced military service members that we're losing from the military. And Captain Cruthers, I understand that you actually have been forced to leave the army. Is that right? Not not exactly right. Um, but yes, I am ETSing, not solely because of my experience um, with the COVID vaccine mandate, but definitely was a contributing factor. Like you said, um, critical thinking is kind of the foundation of the success of our military. And I, I didn't see any of that. I was also very concerned with the amount of leaders, the higher ranking than me, I was low man on the totem pole, but just the amount of leaders that were kind of just doing what they were told. Oh, I'm just doing this because someone told me I should do this. Well, where have we seen that ever go wrong before, right? Right. Um, but it was very concerning to me and just spoke to a more deeply rooted problem. I was very turned off by the lack of integrity that the army preaches that this is what we look for and this is what we train. This is the standard we train to. So in a sense, yes, that experience that I had was the kind of the the stepping stone for my ETS. I am transitioning out of the military in about eight months. Um, but yeah, definitely eye opening. Sorry, the fact that they ask you to change your statement speaks directly to lack of integrity. I mean, they're asking you to alter something that you in good conscience did to the best of your ability as honestly and with integrity. And they turn around and say, no, we want this statement in there for a political agenda. That's my description. I'm not asking you to make that statement. But that's basically what's happening. They are saying they want you to change your sincerely held due diligence, your opinion for their political cover or their political agenda. And I would have a hard time respecting that as well. I would probably not stay with an employer who asked me to make such a compromising action that compromised my principles either. No, you're absolutely right. And I will say to uh, the credit of my unit, I ended up um, 
you know, I told the battalion executive officer and the chaplain, like, hey, I'm not going to revise my memorandum. Like what I've submitted is what you have to work with. And they recommended that I take it up with the battalion commander. And so I did. I had an office call with the battalion commander. And to his credit, he listened to my perspective. And I told him, I, I feel like I'm being coerced. And we haven't necessarily thought through this entire process. I, I feel like there will be long-term effects, other repercussions than what we're immediately seeing. And to his credit, he said, no, I think you're right. Um, I have your back. But, you know, he's not he's not the highest person in the chain. So whatever undue influence um, was higher than that. And it is it's very disconcerting. It's fascinating to me that they asked for that to be added at the lowest level of command recommendations. The battalion could have inserted that into their recommendation. So I'm, I'm really curious as to why they wanted it to go into your recommendation specifically when in the chop chain, they have the ability to add those comments in their own recommendation. Well, I have a very right. cynical view of that, <laughs> but I'll, I'll let I'll let Captain Cruther speak first. I have a very cynical explanation for why they did that. Go ahead. Yeah, I was just going to say that it is very interesting <laughs> because most of the battalion commanders' um, recommendation did not. Um, from what I'd heard from other packets, most of them were denial, blanket denials, no matter what the subsequent commander had recommended. So that is very interesting. Well, my thinking and what I'm watching from the outside, dealing with a lot of different military people, both on our advisory council for the foundation and patients that I see and families who have military service members. I think asking a lower level, lower ranking officer is they're just playing CYA and they're trying to do the steps that won't jeopardize their promotion, their advancement, their career, their pocketbook. And they're trying to make someone lower down the totem pole a scapegoat. And I find that disgusting. And I, I really find it despicable behavior for senior officers in the military that has always operated at a higher standard. So that's my civilian perspective on it. Yeah, you're spot on, Doc. That's Kelly, how did other officers in your position at the lower ranks deal with the situation? Did you have any insight into that? Um, I did have two. So I was the only commander truly that was dealing with the volume of religious accommodation requests. Mo again, most of the other commanders had one, maybe two, if that many. Um, a couple of them, I think, were like medical medical requests that were just um, temporary. But um, I, within my company, there were two other officers, which was virtually unheard of, that they were lieutenants that were also refusing the vaccine mandate and had submitted religious accommodation requests, one of which had thoroughly researched way before the mandate was even, even came down from the DOD. And he had had, he had submitted his religious accommodation request in June. He has since separated from the army, but on those two didn't have to experience like the command side of it, but definitely received um, they weren't afforded certain positions within the organization because of that, because they were officers 
um, definitely held to a higher standard and um, everybody knew they weren't vaccinated and seemed to be treated differently. One of the things that I think is, is so important in, from a 50,000 foot view outside the military, what, what I'm seeing is our military is losing staggering numbers of highly experienced, highly trained people over what has become a political agenda to force a shot in every arm and to force people to comply with unlawful orders. And I really think that we as a foundation are certainly in the fight on the legal defense of all of this, but also I think that we're going to see some pretty serious ramifications of this as time goes on with the mass vaccination has resulted in a staggering increase in deaths among working age population from 18 to 44 years old that is normally the healthiest and and the people with the fewest medical problems and that's the age range in the military and the deaths among that age group are sky high do you realize that we have lost 61,000 Americans in 9 months following the vaccine rollout to in that age group prime working age, prime military age, 18 to 44, that is 3,000 more than the deaths in the 10 years of the Vietnam War. And the public doesn't know it. And I, I think this is going to end up really seriously compromising military fitness, military readiness, and ultimately our national security. That's why it's such a passion of mine as a civilian, as a physician, seeing the damage, that's why I feel like it's so urgent that we wake the public up and educate them to what's going on under the cloak of military secrecy that's damaging our military and making it impossible to do the job that the taxpayers are paying them to do and they're volunteering to do. Closing words from my two heroic military whistleblowers. Doc, just thank you for giving us the time to speak to a broader audience about these issues, to highlight the emergency use authorized nature, the experimental nature of these products, the fact that they cannot be mandated, and the fact that military leaders up and down the chain of command were pressured to not follow the law, to issue blanket denials, or to include caveats in their statements that might undermine an approval recommendation for a religious accommodation. And that's contrary to the Religious Freedom Restoration Act and Department of Defense instruction. Kelly? Yeah, just thank you to both of you for having me on and giving me the platform to share my experiences. I just strongly believe that our service members deserve better. I couldn't agree more with both of you. And we will continue in this fight for the rule of law, for the constitutional rights of our military service members. We'll have more to announce on that in the weeks ahead. And we will continue to be a platform for any whistleblowers that want to come forward, whether you need anonymity or whether you can use your name. 
we will be your voice. This is the crusade of the voiceless who are silent no more. We are standing for truth. We are standing for God's gifts of life and liberty. We are standing for the right for you to live your life as God designed you and to live it in freedom to make your individual decisions. That includes all of our military. So check out our website, www.truthforhealth.org and join us each day, Monday through Friday on America Out Loud Talk Radio for the Whistleblower Report at 12 noon and 12 midnight Eastern time. May God bless both of you on the show today. May God bless America and all of you listening. Get loud, get involved, and let's take America back as our founders envisioned. We'll see you again on the next Whistleblower Report.